Hello everybody and what's going on? My name is Brendan Schaefer. Glad to have you with me for another episode of Be Shafe Daily. Rolling along here, it is Wednesday, March 11th, and as I tease with yesterday's episode, I've got a fun little change-up to throw at you today for Be Shafe Daily. Something different from what we've done in the past, something I'm hoping that I can do a little bit more frequently as this show progresses. I've got a guest on the hook for today, Jacob Zweibeck of Prospects Live. Him and I had a conversation Monday night that I'm excited to air with you guys here. Talking about prospects, a lot of talk about the Cardinals, younger guys in the system, the stars of tomorrow, if you will. And then we got into some Dynasty Fantasy Baseball talk as well. So if you want to be more informed on some of the younger players, not just within the Cardinals system, but across Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, this would definitely be a conversation that I would recommend for your listening pleasure. As always, you can send me a DM on Twitter at bshafer12, message on Facebook at facebook.com slash bshafer12. would love to have you like my Facebook page if you haven't done so already. And to follow the podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts are the main hubs, but we're pretty much everywhere else too. If you want to check that out, you can look at the full list at anchor.fm slash bshafer12. Excited to let you hear this conversation between Jacob and I, so I'm just going to get right to it. We'll have a quick break for Anchor, and then we're coming right at you with Jacob Zweibach from Prospects Live. Okay, and I'm really excited about doing this for the first time on B-Shape Daily. We've got a guest. We've got an actual person whose voice is not my own that I'll be talking to. Excited to bring in Jacob Zweibach. He covers prospects for Prospects Live, and he's all over the young guys across minor league baseball, the guys of tomorrow. Welcome into the show, Jacob. How are you doing today? Hey, Brandon. I'm doing great here in Phoenix, Arizona, but actually about to fly out to Florida tomorrow to see a five, six days of spring training baseball there. But I, uh, I had an interview with the Angels' number two prospect, Brandon Marsh, today and saw Yu Chang of the Indians hit a home run. So fun day today here in AZ. Oh, that sounds like that sounds like fun. And I want to I'll go ahead and take take your lead here. Brandon Marsh is a name I've heard of. I know he's had some maybe some injury issues that he's working through. But some people have said Joe Adele is a prospect that a lot of people who are into fantasy baseball dynasty leagues might know. But Brandon Marsh, to some, might be just as good, if not better than Adele. Yeah, um, it's funny, too, because they they're really a pair, a duo in the Angels system, not only are they one and two uh, on most lists of Angels prospects, but they were in the fall league together uh, here in October, laughing, joking around in the cage, and then having kind of home run battles and batting practice. That's also for both of them that's their second year in big league camp. You know, Adele is just insane 80 grade power and is a guy who has a chance to be having 40 homer years in the big leagues uh marsh i think is the better defender uh this is a guy who you see him he looks like almost like a tight end he's like six foot four probably at this point even more than the 215 pounds he's listed as just a, a strong guy and you might not think looking at him that he's a true center fielder but then uh in the fall league watching his first step it's great he's really quick to the ball and he's a guy who you know, with the Angels, maybe when he gets called up, he'll start in a corner because I don't think they're going to want to move Mike Trout. 
but this this is a true center fielder who can play that position for many years to come. It's kind of astounding to think about that the Angels, before too long, could have an outfield of Mike Trout, Joe Adele, and then this Marsh kid. That's not too bad across the uh, the three outfield spots. Absolutely. No, this could be the best outfield in baseball. Uh, I think the, the Braves have a chance to be in that category, too, when they call up Drew Waters and Christian Pache from their minor league system. But with the best player in the game in Mike Trout, uh, probably the biggest power hitter in the minor leagues in Joe Adele, who, you know, I, I would be considering, if not starting the season with Adele, after two to four weeks calling him up, because I think for an Angels team that just paid up to get Rendon and is trying to make the playoffs, I think Adele makes them a much better team. And as far as Marsh goes, uh, he brings that defense, and he's also a very patient, disciplined hitter. Uh, you know, he's still only tw- he just turned 22, so every level he's played at, he's been young for his level, and he still put up a 370 career on base percentage. So he's patient, and then he has power potential that he hasn't fully tapped into yet. If you if you look at his stats, uh, he had seven home runs and 100 minor league games last year before the fall league. Then had a really impressive two homer game in the fall league that I was at but he's a guy with his strength and it's a smooth clean swing with some loft he could definitely be a 20 home run hitter in the big leagues yeah I was getting ready to say too you consider they've got Rendon you know Shohei Otani we'll see if he's able to go both ways this year and how he does but yeah that Angels team could be looking pretty interesting and I like what you said too about him being young for his age and the way guys perform against maybe a little bit older, more mature competition as they make their way up through the minors. Teams look at that a lot. We're going to get to that in terms of some Cardinals guys here in a little bit, talking about Nolan Gorman, Dylan Carlson. But I wanted to get your take on some of the guys that you're most excited to see when you get down to Florida. Who are you Who are you watching for over these spring games that you're going to be watching this coming week? Yeah, so uh, I'll start with a couple minor leaguers that I've mentioned to you in the past. I saw Yvonne Herrera, who catching prospect for the Cardinals and is still only 19 years old. I saw him in the fall league and I'm really excited to see him in spring this week. This is one of the better catching prospects in baseball. You know, first of all, a 19 year old in the fall league, just in the first place, that's already impressive. I think he was either, I think he was the youngest player in the fall league. If not, he was the second youngest. And, you know, I saw another Cardinals prospect, Ella Huris Montero, taking batting practice in October. And that he's just an absolute mountain of a man, six foot three, uh, big homers. And then the very next hitter was Herrera, who is maybe six foot tall, but very strong. And he was even more impressive in BP as a 19-year-old than Montero was at age 21. Herrera, it's just really easy power. He wasn't really trying to hit homers. He was really just kind of getting his work in, line drives, barreling up the ball, and he still left the yard several times very easily. You know, he had a great year statistically, too, at A ball and high A uh, in 2019. He got on base at a 375 clip, also hit nine home runs in 87 games. So you're all, you know, oftentimes catchers really you don't really start to see the power kicking in until they're 23 24 he's already showing you that power and i think he's a great guy to potentially have in a few years as as yadier molina starts to 
play fewer games, I think uh, Herrera could be big for the Cardinals. Yeah, and that's something that's really interesting that you bring his name up, and I think a lot of Cardinals fans will be interested to hear more about him as time goes on, because look, in St. Louis, you've got Andrew Kisner. You know, first you had Carson Kelly. The Cardinals traded him away in the Goldsmith deal. Now you've got Andrew Kisner, who is, you know, 25 years old. He's there, he's ready, but may end up starting the season in Memphis. So people kind of wonder, okay, is this happening again, where they've got this guy who potentially could be ready, but because Yachty is still here and still playing, it might not line up. You know, people concerned for the future. Don't be too concerned because it's a Von Herrera kid, and I've seen him too down there in spring, and we'll be interested to get your take on him after you see him a little bit more over the course of next week. But he does look like the real deal, and that's what they've said about him too in Cardinals camp, just impressed by the way he carries himself at such a young age, as you mentioned. Yeah, I think both uh, Kisner and Herrera were what allowed the Cardinals to – move Carson Kelly in that trade that I think really was a win-win because you look at the Cardinals, uh, I think going farther in the playoffs than a lot of people thought part of that was Goldschmidt coming on hot and just changing that lineup. So the Cardinals got what they needed in Goldie. And then Kelly was great for the Diamondbacks. I think both teams come away happy. And then I really do like the spread of these three current Cardinal catchers between the hall of fame veteran and Yachty and then Kisner, 25, ready to play in the bigs right now. Herrera still needs a little seasoning at just 19 years old, but so far has been really advanced. So I think there's a nice spread there, which is really want, what you want, because you see plenty of teams take the New York Mets as far as a nearby team in spring training. They've got a good starting catcher in Wilson Ramos, but if, if there are any injuries to, with him, they really quickly don't really have depth, and they're just looking at, kind of defense-only catchers. So I think the Cardinals uh, really have almost an embarrassment of riches at that position right now. And to be sure, those aren't the only young players in Cardinals camp that are making waves. Uh, Cardinals bench coach Ali Marmol has talked about, as I mentioned, Herrera, the way he carries himself for a 19-year-old. Such a young guy, his first big league camp, but you know, fitting in with the rest of the group pretty swimmingly a couple more guys from Cardinals camp that I'm not sure how much you've seen of either of these guys but I wanted to get your takes on both of them because they are guys rising up the rankings in MLB top 100 prospects doesn't matter what list you look at you're likely to find both their names and that's Nolan Gorman the third baseman and Dylan Carlson who we could potentially see at the big league level sooner rather than later I want to get your take what do you think of those two up and coming Cardinals prospects Yeah, so these guys I haven't gotten to see up close and personal, but watching a lot of footage of them, I think it's pretty clear that the the Cardinals are gearing up for Carlson to come in and change the the lineup this year. Um, You know, he only got the 18 games of AAA in at the very end of last year, absolutely raked in those 18 games, hit 361, hit five homers. And that was after 108 games of excellence in double A. So I think the idea is that, you know, he's a switch hitter. So when he gets called up, they're going to play him every day. And I think it'll be interesting to see how much do they play him in center field? How much do they say, hey, Harrison Bader is a really good center fielder. Let's keep a lot of his starts Bader's that is in center field and Carlson can also play in the corner. And then you look at, you've got the veteran uh, Fowler getting paid. Well, usually players getting paid like that. You don't teams don't like to mess with their playing time too much, but there's a guy who I love in Tyler O'Neill 
who I think is ready to be playing every day. So they didn't, you know, they didn't go sign a big costly free agent. They let Ozuna go. They traded Martinez. And I think that's all because uh, they know that they have an ace in the hole in Dylan Carlson. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that, too, about Dexter Fowler, acknowledging that, yes, it is the guys who have the contracts that usually do end up getting the first crack at that playing time. Cardinals fans a little bit on edge right now because Fowler not performing in the spring, you know, coming off an average season last year, and people are already wondering, with two years left on his deal, like, hey, well, could Dylan Carlson take this guy's spot? And so it's going to be kind of interesting in St. Louis, but I'm glad you brought up Tyler O'Neill because he's been a guy that, you know, when the Cardinals acquired him, from the Seattle Mariners in a trade that sent left-handed starter Marco Gonzalez to the Pacific Northwest, people were kind of expecting a lot out of O'Neill because he had been a top 100 prospect at one time, and they saw the raw power potential. It's taken a little while for O'Neill to potentially catch on. He's had some injuries. He's had a little bit of inconsistency and some inconsistent opportunity. What do you think, though, the Cardinals could see from O'Neill if they do just kind of give him that left-field job and let him run with it this season? From the scouting perspective with O'Neill, who I saw uh, last spring, I think the standout thing is is not just he's powerful and he hits home runs, but it's how short his swing is. He's he's only probably 5'10", 5'11". He's absolutely jacked. I think probably Cardinals fans know all about his father being this you know competitive weightlifter who taught him. So there's really no wasted movement in O'Neill's swing. And I think that allows him to make a lot of adjustments that some of these six foot four sluggers with long swings aren't able to make. So with O'Neill, I think sometimes young players like him and yeah, especially when he comes in in a trade, you expect them to hit the ground running. But the fact is he's still 24 years old when he's played in the majors. He's been solid. Uh, even last year, which was I think disappointing uh, a 723 OPS, it's below average, but it wasn't like he, you know, was floundering at the plate. And the year before, uh, you know, he had an 800 OPS above average. But I think, I think either way, I think he'll be able to walk more than he has so far in the big leagues where he really hasn't walked. Um, but in the minor leagues, this is a guy who could still get on base, you know, at a 340 350 clip and I think when you're kind of trying to get that playing time and you're in and out of the lineup and a couple minor injuries here and there it's the classic tale of guys pressing but this is someone who for me I still see him as that top 100 prospect I don't think that's I don't think there's anything to suggest that that wasn't valid I think he totally is that talented of a player and I would love to see the Cardinals give him a shot to play every day this year And so far, he's doing everything this spring to kind of put the pressure on the organization. He's got an OPS near 1,000. Granted, Dylan Carlson's is also at 1,000. So there's a lot of competition there. And what I'm interested to see from O'Neill is, you know, you're going to live with some of the strikeouts. He's had a pretty high strikeout rate so far this spring. Has taken a handful of walks, which you do appreciate to go along with those strikeouts. But it's all about the question, is the power going to show up frequently enough to allow all the other stuff to take place. You'll live with the strikeouts. You'll live with perhaps a little bit lower of a batting average as long as he consistently is is displaying a plate approach that allows that power to shine through on a regular basis so he can be that kind of middle-of-the-order bat that you know the Cardinals are definitely seeking right now, and, and they were willing to take a gamble that maybe O'Neal, maybe it could be Carlson, maybe even Elaine Thomas, another young outfielder competing in St. Louis, 
that one of those guys could fill that role, and that's why they let Marcelo Zuna go, as you mentioned. Yeah, and uh, I think that I would not be shocked if Tyler O'Neill produces comparable value to Marcelo Zuna this year if if O'Neill gets the opportunity. Certainly, Ozuna's floor for 2020 is higher because he was an everyday player last year and has been an everyday player for many years. And uh, you know what you're getting from Marcelo Zuna. But when you're looking at uh, the $18 million that Ozuna got for this one year, which I think is a solid move for where the Braves are, but I think it's also a shrewd move for the Cardinals to say, hey, do we need to pay $18 million here when we might be able to get similar talent out of a guy who we traded for because we liked and a guy who we have control of for the next five years who could you know, win this job and then keep playing corner outfield for us in 2021 and 2022 and moving forward. So, you know, I think lots of times it's easy to paint each trade or each free agent signing as, oh, what were all these other teams thinking to not go keep Ozuna or this or that? But uh, there's a lot of smart front offices here. So the Cardinals is certainly one that I think counts there. Yeah, I think that's a good point, too. And and you talk about, okay, people are complaining in St. Louis about the Fowler situation. Right now, they're not so fond of him being paid what he's, what he's owed the next two seasons. But when he was signed, by and large, the Cardinals community was saying, you know, we need a center fielder. We've got to get somebody. And so that kind of painted the Cardinals into a corner to where they acted maybe uh, feeling like they had to, when in reality, if they had shown patience in that offseason, they might have seen that Tommy Pham was going to emerge. So there's always this situation with going into an offseason, a fan base looks at the, the status, the, the the team organization looks at the status and and says, you know, we're going to go this direction. The fan base might not always agree, but I think it's important, and this kind of highlights with the O'Neill situation, with letting Ozuna go this offseason, kind of highlights that, you know, sometimes taking a step back, maybe it's a six-month step or two years out, you kind of look back and realize, eh, actually, they might have done the right thing in that scenario rather than make a rash decision, overpay for a guy, and potentially block a player, as you mentioned, that they made a point to go out and trade for a couple of years ago. I appreciate the insight you give on the Cardinals talk for sure, but I want to shift gears here a little bit yeah. and talk some fantasy baseball dynasty leagues because I'm sure a lot of people have their drafts either coming up. I just had one draft last night. We'll be having others as the rest of this month of March progresses. But I'm curious if you've got a few under-the-radar names that people should be paying attention to in Dynasty Leagues, maybe not in redraft, although if you have some of those as well, that would be good because always we have in Major League Baseball young players, they burst onto the scene, and if you were the one that was able to snag them in the late round of your redraft league, you're going to be thanking your lucky stars come the end of the season. But also, these Dynasty Leagues, sometimes there can be teenage prospects that a lot of people have never heard of, and you might be yeah. saying, it might be smart to pick this guy up, hold him for the next year or two, because after that, he's going to be a hot commodity. So any names like that jump out at you? Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of approach it in sort of different sort of tiers of guys or different timelines of guys, starting with the the really the really young players who are who I saw here in rookie ball in this in this past summer two names that stand out for me are Luis Toribio of the San Francisco Giants he's a 19 year old Dominican third baseman for listeners out there I would say type his name into YouTube I know for prospects live we got some good video of him and you're just gonna see a sweet left-handed swing and a really advanced approach uh he went up to 
to low A at the very beginning of the season. So, you know, at that level, he's three years younger than the average player. He hit 300 here in rookie ball. I think everyone knows about Luciano with the Giants, but Luis Toribio is a guy who shouldn't be ignored. And then one other name here at this level, which is, again, super young guys who have still just been in rookie league. A guy I love is named Wildred Patino. He's an 18-year-old center fielder in the Arizona Diamondbacks situation, which by the uh, in the Diamondbacks farm system, which by the way has just shot up in the past year. It's become one of the better systems in baseball. And Patino is a great athlete with a really electric swing. He's about six foot, six foot one, already very strong, even just as a teenager. And uh, this is a guy who's got some. Ender Inciarte in him as far as as uh, speed around the bases, not quite that level defensively, but a really good, really talented player who you probably haven't heard people talking about. So that's Wildred Patino and Luis Toribio. Now going to some, some guys who you've totally heard about who are on top 100 lists, but I think are worth mentioning. Uh, the Yankees' right-handed uh, stud, Clark Schmidt, his value has shot up in the last few months, both because of his performance. This guy's looked great in spring training with a plus breaking ball and a nice 94, 95 mile an hour fastball. And uh, Schmidt, by the way, he was the 16th overall pick for the Yankees back in 2017. His value's also gone up because, unfortunately, Luis Severino is out for the year with Tommy John surgery, and Paxton is down for a few months with a back injury. So Clark Schmidt has a chance to give you 2020 value because the Yankees want to have good starters in that rotation with Cole and go finally win a World Series with this current uh, wealth of talent. So suddenly a guy who's already been a good long-term play and Clark Schmidt has a chance to help you this year. And then another, a couple guys in sort of the, kind of the way Tyler O'Neill is under the radar, or not under the radar, but just people are a little down on him. Another guy like that, I would say, is Johan Camargo with the Atlanta Braves. I don't think people get excited in a dynasty league about Johan Camargo. But as you see, when when you've gotten into deeper rounds in dynasty leagues, it starts to become hard to pick a current MLB player who has a lot of upside. You're usually looking at either MLB guys who just aren't that good at the plate or minor leaguers who might be three or four years away. But I would just refer anyone to Camargo's 2018 season. He had 272, 19 homers, and an 806 OPS. This guy can play third. He can play corner outfield. He can even fill in at shortstop. And it's interesting that the that the Braves didn't pay the big money to keep Donaldson for another year. I think that part of that is that they believe in Camargo to uh, have a bounce back season after really kind of a tough 2019 where after this great 2018, he was back on the bench. And I always think that's tough for a player when they've earned the chance to start, but they don't get it. All right. That's good. I like I like some of these names and I I'm Googling and writing things down as yeah. you speak about it, but I I'm going to hold your feet to the fire a little bit here. So you talk about Clark Smith. I like the makeup. I like the numbers, you know, solid numbers at double A. And so I can see a path potentially to him making the big leagues. But I got to tell you, my dynasty league that I drafted last night, it's in pretty good hands. It won the league championship last year. And so I also have stocked up on a couple of these pitching prospects. So you're not dropping a Mackenzie Gore or a Matt Manning or a Forrest Whitley for Clark Schmidt, right? Am I right about that? 
no, not uh, no, not, neither uh, <laughs> good Mackenzie Gore or Matt Manning. Who, yeah, we, uh, prospects live. We had Matt Manning number one on our Tigers list, not Casey Mize, who is also a great prospect. But I think even team officials have, with the Tigers and other teams, have started to see Matt Manning as the best pitcher in that system. So no, I don't think he's necessarily one of the three or four best pitching prospects in the game. But I also don't think he's talked about as much as those guys. So I just think he's at a nice position right now for you dynasty owners who are like, I want to win in 2020 and be good in 2024. I think Clark Schmidt dreads that needle. Forrest Whitley, by the way, is a guy who I would encourage everyone to still believe in. Yes. Uh, you can look at his stats and they were mostly terrible last year. But, you know, pitching is a really strange thing where things can get a little off and suddenly someone can be having a terrible year. I know uh, Marcus Stroman was one of the big deadline pitchers last year. And just the year before in 2018, Marcus Stroman had a 5.54 ERA. And everyone at the moment considers him a good pitcher. So there's so much variability when things get a little off. Whitley had a suspension, had some uh, some some injuries, but they weren't like injuries that required surgery. But I saw him in the 2018 Fall League, thought, man, this is a guy who can compete for Cy Youngs in the future. And then I saw him back in the Fall League this past October when he came in having had this terrible year, and he actually still looked great. So he's someone who, especially if there are other owners in your league who are a little down on Whitley, I think he's a great guy to go get because he has a chance to have four plus pitches. The changeup is great. The slider is great. He's, I don't know, six, seven, and he creates great down, uh, great angle on his curveball, 12, six curveball. And, you know, I, he's not going to be throwing 99, a hundred as a starter, the way a Nate Pearson might, but he's still throwing. I think he's still going to be hitting 96, 95, 97 as a starter to come in, uh, with great extension at his height and his uh, athletic delivery. So that's another guy I like. Yeah, I'm thinking this podcast isn't going to post until Wednesday, and I hope that by the time people can hear this, I'm able to say I have Nate Pearson on one of my dynasty rosters. <laughs> I'm doing everything I can to, to, to pry him away. I've got Garrett Cole in both leagues. I'm willing to dangle Cole for the right package, but I want to get some proven guys back alongside Pearson, but with what you mentioned about Forrest Whitley, I'm totally bought in. I'm not going to cut bait on him because I had to learn the hard way last season when I did not select Lucas Giolito as a keeper after he had a tough uh, 2018, I guess uh, it was. Yeah. Going into 2019, I had it, like I said, I had a stacked roster, ended up winning the league, but he was like the 26th man when I had 25 keepers. Obviously, I regret not keeping him, and he's actually back on the team now that I traded for him in the offseason. I make so many moves, but that's <laughs> yeah, kind of an example. I am wheeling dealing, but that's kind of a good example of a guy maybe is a top prospect, loses some of his luster, but you know, there's some things going on behind the scene. Lucas Diolito changed his mechanics in some way, changed his delivery, then kind of went back to what had worked for him previously. And you saw the success from last year. I think a little bit of that going on with Forrest Whitley. So I'm going to save the course with him. Let's just kind of see what happens as far as yeah. that goes. But, uh, Jacob, I appreciate the time you joining me today, man. Uh, tell me, you know, tell the listeners, too, what you have maybe coming up on Prospects Live. 
Yeah. Well, th- thank you so much for having me on today, Brendan. With Prospects Live, we've we've had a ton of fun with our comprehensive list, both our own uh, top 100 prospects in baseball, but also our top 30s for each system. And then on my end, it's I'm going to be getting some more player interviews out in Florida. I'd mentioned that interview with the Angels center fielder, Brandon Marsh. That should be dropping tomorrow. Um, my my Twitter handle is at the real R-E-E-L-J-Z. So it's just the real and then the letters J-Z. So a nice little play on words, right? The real Jay-Z, like a film reel, a highlight reel, but also my initials are Jay-Z. Oh, we're, so. we're all over it. We're all yeah. over it. So that should be there. And then, yeah, I'm excited for the Marlin, uh, for the uh, for Florida spring training where I'll be on the East Coast. So I'll be seeing Cardinals, seeing Marlins, going to – I'm excited to be at the stadium that the Nationals and Astros share with each other. That's quite juicy after their World Series battle and now the whole – sign-stealing scandal, and then the fifth team out there is the Mets. So especially if people have questions about any of the games, but on the backfields, uh, watching players get their work in. I really appreciate it, and that's once again, it's Jacob Zweibach. He's with Prospects Live, and you can find him at the real R-E-E-L-J-Z, on Twitter. Thank you so much for the time, Jacob, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Brennan. And there you have it. That was my interview with Jacob Zweibach. He's with Prospects Live, as you heard. Covers the younger players. Is actually down in Florida right now. I saw some videos that he had posted on his page on Wednesday. So if you're into that kind of thing, go ahead and drop him a follow on Twitter. Jacob Zweibach. It's at the real R-E-E-L-J-Z, on Twitter. He's with Prospects Live. And I was really excited to get a chance to Get some other perspective on the show. Going to try to continue to do that as we go along as this uh, 2020 season approaches. Yeah, I haven't really talked about this on the show. You know, the coronavirus thing is is obviously commanding a lot of attention on headlines right now. We'll wait and see what kind of impact that has on the baseball season. I know as of recording this on Wednesday, the governor of Ohio is talking about it becoming a mandate that they're banning large gatherings potentially throughout the state of Ohio. That would obviously include the Cardinals opening day in Cincinnati, whether or not, you know, Major League Baseball would take steps to potentially postpone or cancel games. Seems a little premature to wonder about that. But, you know, as these things spread, for me, the NCAA tournament, that comes up a little bit sooner. And so we're seeing a lot of fallout potentially for that. But then, the, the very week after with the Cardinals going to Cincinnati across Major League Baseball, they're going to be kicking things off. Seattle's not going to play their first couple of series at home. They're going to have to find an alternate venue. That's been announced as of Wednesday for the Mariners. So a lot going on with that. Whether or not it impacts my ability to cover the opening series in Cincinnati has yet to be determined. Uh, as long as the series happens, I hope to still be able to, to go and cover that. So... We'll have to wait and see, but otherwise we'll have coverage of the baseball season whenever it does begin, if it's delayed at any point. We'll have it here at B-Shape Daily throughout the season. So appreciate you guys sticking with me for another episode. I'm hoping to line up another guest for a future episode, either Thursday or Friday. Still working on getting a time down to interview this particular guest. But a lot of you may have already heard of him if you guys are involved in the Twitterverse, the Twitter world. So... Keep an eye out for that on a future B-Shape Daily. 
And once again, on Twitter, you can find me at bshafer12. For any questions or comments, concerns you would like to drop me a line, I'd love to have you. So appreciate you guys once again, and we will talk to you tomorrow.